Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. We've got a special guest today. And I said to Sean before this started, when he said he started talking about cities that I'm very familiar with, Newburyport, um, areas that only really probably a Bostonian would know. I said, wow, we've actually got a local guest on this week, which probably only happens one out of like 100 episodes. So, Sean, um, you know, welcome. We're probably not sitting too far away from each other. How's your day been so far? My day has been great. I'm uh, excited to be on your show, so thank you for having me. You're welcome. So um, we didn't get into your background yet, so I'd love to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about, like, how you got starting in real estate, um, whether you, like, got into it to be an investor or an agent or, like, how that kind of, like, you know, worked together. Sure. So, um I've really only been a licensed realtor full-time uh, for three and a half years. This is my third full year as a licensed realtor. But prior to becoming licensed and working full-time in real estate, I worked in Boston's financial district. I worked for a local asset manager. And I was in Boston, living in Boston, working in the financial district for about 10 years. While I was working in corporate finance, I started to invest in real estate myself. And my first purchases were short-term rentals or Airbnb properties. And I think similar to your story, I found myself while in corporate America, just not super motivated and not looking forward to the nine to five. I felt more motivated in my side hustle, which was uh, building my portfolio and also simultaneously building a short-term rental management company. So I never really had this grand plan to graduate from college and then get into real estate and become an investor just weirdly uh, led me to where I am today, um, starting first in finance, then investing myself, then saying in 2019 that I'm ready to leave corporate America to do this, do this full time. And so in 2019, that's when I gave my notice at my uh, for my employer and I my original plan wasn't to become a licensed realtor. It was to pursue my property management company. Mm -hmm. I quickly realized that becoming a licensed realtor was uh, the right thing to do. And I couldn't be happier that I, uh, I help buyers, sellers and investors. Yeah. It's crazy because um, investors always ask me, should I get my real estate license? And then they'll say things like, well, I read online, you know, I shouldn't get it or there. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, it's got so many synergies. And especially if you're doing a lot of investing, you're leaving tons of money on the table, as well as so many other benefits. So what, I guess, what even prompted while you were in corporate America to say, like, I want to do any sort of real estate investing? Like, was it a book? Was it like a friend that, you know, turned you on to it? Like, what, what was the, the spark? Well, I think first, internally, I've always been the entrepreneurial type, and I've always wanted to uh, do something where there is no ceiling and not necessarily answer to other folks. I'll, I will say this, I have nothing but um, 
gratefulness for my experience in corporate America. However, I knew quickly it wasn't for me long term. So once I realized that, I was trying to figure out, well, what kind of side hustles should I start while I was working a full-time job? And when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which obviously is maybe one of the more popular books that get people thinking about real estate, yep. it, really got my, um, it really got me thinking about real estate in general and how it's, to me personally, the best way to build wealth. And also one of the best ways to work for yourself. And there's so many different avenues in real estate, whether it's... Um, being a full-time realtor or investing in long-term rentals or investing in short-term rentals or doing flips uh, or wholesaling. So real estate, once you get into the weeds, there's so many different avenues on what might be best for you. And I found for me personally that short-term rentals were the best thing for me then and it still is today. I just have a passion for <laughs> providing vacation experiences for others and also selfishly being able to use my own properties myself with my family and friends. Yeah, that's awesome. It's um, it's crazy how much influence that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, has had on people. Um, I know you don't know my story, but I was pre med in college. You know, worked my butt off for three years. I was a pizza delivery boy. You know, working my way through college, and I put the Rich Dad Poor Dad cassette tape. This is like 2003 into my white Kia Sophia driving around, delivering pizzas. I'm not even kidding, Sean. By the time I was done listening to that audiobook, I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form. And I was thinking real estate too. But you hear that story so often. You know, I, I kind of wonder, because I've read a lot of business books and whatever, but like there's something about that specific book that like it moves the needle in like your thinking. Absolutely. I feel like by far it's been the biggest influencer, influence, influencing factor for me uh, to make the leap of faith out of the uh, comfortable nine to five job to be doing real estate full time. And in addition to Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I've now read several times because I find it, I find that every time I read it, I learn something new. Thinks in even deeper. And so uh, aside from Rich Dad Poor Dad, I do listen quite regularly to Bigger Pockets, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And like most people who work in real estate, I'm in my car a lot, and I find myself wanting to learn one new thing a day. And the easiest way to do that is to put a podcast on and to uh, listen to it on my drive as opposed to music and try to learn something. And that that now in my daily routine seems to be the one way I'm learning something new uh, every day. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Um, so with the, the short-term rental, so that was, that was your first investment deal was a short-term rental. It was. Yep. And, um, like, again, so you, you talked about like, you're passionate about it. You like to do it. Like, what was your experience like doing your first one? Like, do you have any big hesitations about doing it? Like what, it, what did it kind of look like pros and cons and things like that? The biggest hesitation I had with my first investment into my Airbnb property was just other people telling me how difficult it's going to be to yep. be a landlord. And um, the more I heard that, the more I wanted to prove everyone yep. wrong. My brother, Mike, and I, we, we invest together. And so having a partner who I trust and know well, and who also has very good complementary skill sets to mine, made it less daunting. And so 
I wouldn't say I had a lot of hesitation because I told myself, what's the worst case scenario? And at that point, the worst case scenario is that I would have purchased the beach property that uh, that had the aim of being an Airbnb investment. And if it didn't work out, we would either have it to use uh, with our family and friends and we could comfortably afford it at that time, or we could sell it, worst case scenario, at a loss. I always tell myself, what's the worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario for me so far, nothing would has never been that bad. And when I when I answer that question in my head, it always makes me more confident in moving forward. I think the biggest obstacle most people have is just taking action. And I think people don't take action because of the voice inside their head or the voice from others. But if you really look into what the worst case scenario is, typically it's never that bad if you're doing proper due diligence. And so taking action for most people, I think is the hardest thing, but we just did it knowing that it was going to be a learning curve. And the first investment for most people is always the biggest learning curve. And after that first one, now we're, you know, now I feel like uh, it's a, it's a breeze uh, now knowing what to look for and where to look for the properties and how to analyze properties and how to manage properties. The first one's always the biggest learning curve, but if you tell yourself you're going to have fun, fun through the process, then it's, it's more fun than it is a job. Yeah. And like mindset, you know, we already talked about rich dad, poor dad, and you, you just, you know, spit off a lot of things about mindset. It's probably the number one thing, you know, that, that, that can either make somebody super successful or hold them back. Um, and, you know, talking about the worst case scenario, I, I did a Facebook post the other day and I'm going to screw up exactly how it went. Cause I copied it from somebody else, but it, it was essentially something like, you know, you think investing is risky. Well, think about what happens when you don't invest and it listed out like, um, you know, you're always going to have to work a nine to five. You're probably going to be working into your like late seventies, like this, that, and it listed out like all of the things that could happen if you don't invest. And then it said at the bottom, like, do you still think investing is risky? Right. And um, because you're, you're essentially for a lot of us and myself included, if you don't invest, you're sealing a fate that you already hate, right? You get the idea in your head. I want to invest because I don't like where I am. But then if you don't take the leap, you're going to always be there. So it's almost kind of like, when you think about it like that, you're like, wow. Um, and then you talked, you went into more detail about like, what is the actual strategy for if you have like a bad deal? And the part that always gets me about like people being nervous about investing in real estate is I see these people, everybody who listens to me and knows me, knows I hate like Bitcoin or any sort of like cryptocurrency. Um, people will invest in a cryptocurrency that can go to zero, right? But they're afraid to invest in real estate that like, in a worst case scenario, maybe goes down like 10 or 15%. Yeah. Um, and it, it just blows my mind that like, or, or people will gamble or they'll do things where you know the odds are like definitely not in your favor, but they're not afraid of those things. Yeah, I have, I think I have a unique perspective uh, in investing in general because I did work in finance for 10 years. So I know the stock market, the bond market, high net worth investing strategies. And so I have that background. And although I'm still invested in stocks and bonds to keep myself diversified, what I love most about real estate is two things. Number one, for the most part, you could actually influence the performance of your investment mm -hmm. um, if you implement certain strategies. And number two, you can leverage those investments. So I could put 10 to 25% down to acquire half a million dollar property. Whereas if I wanted to invest half a million dollars in stocks, I would need half a million dollars 
uh, with an upfront capital to make that investment. And so the biggest thing that I tell folks that I work with on the investing side is what I love most about real estate is number one, you could leverage it, but um, maybe more importantly is that you could influence the performance, whether it's by, whether it's with adding um, value with square footage or an extra room, or just being a more skilled manager than the average person in your market, or by adding unique features that make your short-term rental stand out, like an outdoor space, jacuzzi, accent walls, whatever it might be. But I love the ability to be able to influence my investment myself, as opposed to relying on the general market for where my investment so goes. Let's dive into the short-term rentals because everybody talks about them. I even I, I I'm like on the fence about doing one for multiple different reasons. Actually, let's just let's take me as a case study because I do a lot of investing and I'm a little bit nervous to, to get into a short-term rental. So here are my fears about short-term rentals, and I'm just curious to see what you would say to them. I got I got three kind of fears right now. Number one, the short-term rental prices have gone up a lot. Um, and I'm sure you've seen that, like, you know, a lakefront property that used to be like 400 is like 800 today, and partly because of the short-term rental piece of it. The second thing I'm really worried about is regulation. So I'm worried about like what happens if the city decides that you can't do this anymore. Maybe, I don't know if my fear is overblown or not. And then the third thing is just the management. So I, I feel like I've got regular rentals and they're kind of a hassle. And what I'm envisioning in my head is this is going to be a worse version of that because you have a new tenant every single week or month or whatever. So I know I gave you a lot of like fears there, but these are the types of things that I think about. And I'm curious like what your perspective on that type of stuff is, because that's probably what a lot of people are thinking on short-term rentals. Yeah, I actually love talking about these topics. So prices, number one, regulations, number two, and management, number three. Starting with prices. Um, there, it's. It's no secret that real estate prices in general are essentially at all-time highs and interest rates are rising. So finding investments in general, whether it's a short-term vacation rental or long-term rental, in my opinion, is more difficult to, today than it has been because prices are higher in general. There's also a lot of competition, not enough supply, and a lot of buyers with capital looking to invest. So, so prices are higher, competition is higher, acquiring properties is just more difficult in general. Um, that's just a challenge that I'm personally dealing with as current buyer. And even though I wish I could find and purchase multiple properties this year, it'll probably just be a handful at most, just because prices are higher and competition is higher. And what I have to say about prices, the most important thing I have to say about prices, which is what I share with all my investors, is that there's no home run deals today. You're not going to find a listing that screams, this is a deal you have to buy it because of the price and because of the potential rental rents that it has. The reality is um, you have to find a property that's in a location you like, that's likely trending upwards with rents going higher, that you could add value in some way, whether it's adding value physically to the property or adding value with just the way you manage it strategically from a pricing standpoint and calendar standpoint. I know prices are high. I'm, and as a, as a current investor myself, I'm buying properties at higher prices. But if I could walk in a rate of four, five, or six percent today for 30 years, and I know my first or second year holding this property will either net zero or net a little bit, I'm okay with that as long as I know 
that rents are likely going to increase over time and that I could add value to the property myself with my management style, strategic pricing. Um, so I guess, so does that kind of answer the question? That's just my personal thoughts thinking out loud about prices. It's, it's a challenge, but there's ways in which I feel okay with it because it's not that you can't avoid what the market is. It is what the, mar the market is the market. So we just have to deal with it as best we can. And well, yeah, um, I think maybe, I think one thing that you said is a good point for everybody to think about when it comes to just investing period. And, you know, prices are high. So what you said was, I'm okay if it breaks even or it just makes a couple bucks. What, what you didn't say, but was inherent in that statement is over time, they are going to make me a lot of money, just not today. And I'm okay with that, right? That's it. That's exactly right. So I've had to switch my mindset this year versus past years. In past years, I wanted to cash flow, call it X amount of dollars from year one. It's hard to reach your cash flow expectations in year one in this market when prices are so high. And I'm okay with that. I've come to, I've come, I've come to grips with that. And truthfully, um, it is okay because as long as I, I'm, I'm able to purchase properties at decent values in great areas that I feel confident about rates rising over time and I'm locking in a low interest rate, I'm okay with that because I know number one, if I hold on to the property, it'll likely appreciate in value over time. Number two, rents will likely appreciate over time. Number three, I feel confident enough in my ability to add value from a management perspective that I'll likely outperform the, the majority of the competition in my area. So, um, and I think, I think prices is what, is what keeps most people on the sidelines today, but I'm trying to use it as a competitive advantage because most people are hesitating to buy. I'm, I'm actively looking for opportunities. And there's one I'm going to see today, actually, actually that uh, will obviously sell for a grasping price, but I have that expectation and I feel fine about it. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Asian Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. Yeah, and I think um, that's just another like mindset thing for investing in general. And I think that's another like reason that sometimes people don't invest, which is like real investing is not a quick fix thing. Um, even if prices were, were a little bit lower <clears throat> and I can speak for all of the rentals I've ever owned, usually they're not making a ton of money. So if you like bottle it up and you say like, Hey, you could only hold this asset for like two years. You'd be like, Oh, eh, maybe I won't do it because I'll have made very little money. My pay down's not that much. Um, ranks can't go that much over time. 
prices might go up or down, but you're taking market risk. But um, I heard something on a podcast I was listening to the other day, which was an interesting topic. And it was about people who have 100-year mindsets on investing. And they go into you know, their properties, whether they're going to really hold them for 100 years, but they, they say they're going to, they're going to pass them down to their kids and their family. And they go into it being like, do I want to hold this thing for 100 years? And if the answer is no, then they don't buy it. But if the answer is yes, and maybe they're not making as much money in the first couple of years, they're really looking at it in such a big window where it's like, okay, over the course of 100 years, we know it's going to turn out to be a good investment. So it doesn't need to be in year one, two, three, or even year five. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, one thing I've learned now being several, several years into my short-term rental investing journey is to my surprise today, rents do increase over time with the market. They increase over time with the reputation you build online on platforms like Airbnb and Verbo. So if you get good reviews, you could likely inherently charge higher rates because you become more desirable. In year one, my three bedroom, two and a half bath in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, grossed around Mm -hmm. $40,000. This year, it's projected to gross close to $70,000. So yeah. that's that's due to a combination of things. Number one, rents just naturally have gone up with the market. Number two, the properties perform well, so it becomes more desirable. Number three, we've done fun cosmetic upgrades to make it pop online. So the point is, had my prop had had this property gross forty thousand dollars a year every single year, it'd still be a good investment. But I'm grossing more slightly every year. Not to say that's guaranteed to happen for the long term, but over time it likely will. And my expenses are the same. I locked in a 30-year mortgage. My expenses are the same over the, over the next 30 years. Um, the other point I like to make about, about uh, short-term rental investing, and you might actually disagree with this. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Is cash flow is great and it's the most important thing in my analysis, but cash flow won't make me rich. It'll just help me. Uh, it'll help me comfortably with my household with extra income, or it'll help me reinvest into new properties. But really what builds wealth is the future appreciation. Yeah. Although I love cash flow and and cash flow is important because over up and down markets, it's going to allow me to maintain my property comfortably and pay expenses and likely uh, net income. I think the real wealth that's built is with appreciation over time and whether you want to sell and cash out or, cash out, refinance, or reinvest, or whatever you might want to do. It's really the appreciation that I personally think is the wealth builder. Yeah, it's interesting because like, so again, when I got started, you know, you read books like Cashflow Quadrant, another like Kiyosaki book, people talk a lot about cash flow. And um, I always thought the cash flow was the number one benefit, like you're kind of talking about. And I started buying rental real estate in maybe like 2010 and you know you think about our market and how much like like a typical triple decker has appreciated you know stuff that we were paying 300 for is worth close to a million dollars today and then you look at the cash flow that was yielded over that course of time and the cash flow is much less than the appreciation and then you start to get the pay down too that you don't think about in the beginning so it's like it's a weird thing because again, it's like, what's your horizon? I think, 
if your horizon is like the next six months or a year or two years, then all you can really think about is the cash flow because that's all the benefit that you're kind of getting. But then like the good and the bad thing about time just going like real quick, like I'm going to be 40 in July and I, 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 I can't believe I'm 40. Not that I'm that old relatively, but like, I, I, I still feel like I'm 25. So a lot of time has passed and time is your friend here. It might not be your friend in terms of your body or in terms of your energy or whatever, but it's definitely your friend in real estate. So I would say like, you need the cash flow because if it doesn't cash flow, you can't carry the property. And of course, like if you have cash flow, like you said, you can reinvest it, or maybe you don't need to make as much active income. I, another like guy that I follow that, that does a lot of real estate investing, what he talks about a lot, and again, this is just like another kind of thing that I now think about in terms of my methodology. He said, all you need to care about, like as you're building, is to get your net worth as high as possible. And what he says is like, your net worth times basically a cap rate is what your income is going to be. So like what he, what he says, right, is like your goal as you're being younger, he's like, you want to get to like $10 million of net worth. Why do you want to get to $10 million in net worth? He said, you want to scratch battle claw to get to $10 million in net worth. Because once you have $10 million in net worth, you can buy a four cap asset and make enough money passively to not have to really work. I mean, assuming that you don't have a extremely, you know, crazy lifestyle. And he said, like, once you get to that 10 million of net worth, now you're just kind of like playing for, you know, a scorecard. And um, so what, what he talks a lot about is that he's not as big into cash flow as much as he is, like he said, he'll invest in lower cash flow properties that he thinks will appreciate more because once they appreciate more, he can throw, he can get a cap rate and, and do what he needs to do. Yeah. I feel so, more, I think to the, to the original concern about prices, it, it coincides perfectly with my response to today's higher prices with higher prices. You're going to cash flow less. That's okay. As long as I'm investing in areas that I think will appreciate over time and I'm still cash flowing even a little bit in year one and year two over time, cash flow will likely increase. And if I hold on to the asset, it'll likely be worth more than when I purchased it. And so cash flow, when I do my analysis, is very important. But I know the, the reward isn't necessarily cash flow. But the reward is future appreciation. If I hold on for a, while, for, for a while, that cash flow allows me to hold on to it for a while. Yeah. So, you know, staying on the, the short-term rental piece. So the other fear, um, you know, is, is changing regulation. And I, I, me and my wife, we visited... Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, um, maybe like three or four months ago. Yeah. And we went there and somebody said to me, this may or may not be true, but they don't even allow Airbnb in that town. So it got me thinking, well, okay, if this can be government regulated at the you know turn of a switch, it'd be pretty bad for you to be relying on that type of income. So what are your thoughts on that? It's a real concern. And um, as you mentioned, many municipalities are now trying to put policies in place that either restrict uh, short-term rental or restrict them to some extent. And I know San Francisco, for example, where Airbnb was founded, 
that restrict air, restrict short-term rentals altogether. I think Boston is another town that has restrictions. My hometown of Newburyport, Massachusetts is currently in the middle of proposing an ordinance that restricts short-term rentals as well. And so my answer to the question about the regulatory risk, it well, I'll just, I'll just answer it the way I think about it. I like to invest in properties that I personally feel have much lower risk of future restrictions. Properties like vacation, true vacation destinations like Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. These are two economies that are uh, that that gain a ton of advantage from the tourism industry. And so I feel more comfortable in places like Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that the odds of regulatory risk would be much less. So number one, I look, I try to invest in places that have less risk of regulatory um, restrictions than other places like cities, for example, where there's a lot of hotels that um, the government's trying to protect and jobs at the hotels that the governments are trying to protect because at the end of the day, short-term rentals are competing against hotels and motels and bed and breakfasts and all that. So number, so number one, my, my twofold answer, number one is I look for areas that I think have less of a risk, like true vacation destinations where um, businesses depend on the tourism. And then number two, um, I lost my train of thought here. So number two is, uh, oh, let, going back to the mindset of worst case scenario, from yep. experience, I've learned that the worst case scenario, if I can no longer do short-term rentals, which means a uh, booking for under 30 days, I can do 30 day plus bookings and 30 day plus bookings at nice furnished rentals will still and has proved to be very lucrative as well. So in my worst case scenario, if all my short term rentals can no longer be used as a short term rental because of regulatory restrictions, they will quickly be turned into 30 day plus minimum rentals that are furnished and I'll now um, promote them to traveling nurses or to people who are relocating because of their jobs or people who are in between homes because they sold and they need a place to stay before they buy or people who are divorced and need a place to stay until they find their next accommodation. So there's still so much demand for 30 day plus rentals that are furnished that I, that I feel confident that if there is regulatory risk, I'll still be able to um, earn enough income to carry the property long-term. So for the people that are listening, one statement I want to make is I'm talking through like some of my fears of short-term rentals. You can do this with any asset class. So you can do this with multifamily. You can do this with uh, apartment buildings. You can do this with becoming an agent. You can do this with doing fix and flips. And so one thing just to keep in mind as I'm kind of asking these questions and thinking about it in my head is like, nobody necessarily has the right answer. You know, like the stuff that Sean's saying, um, you know, those are his thoughts and his beliefs and he's doing the best he can around logically trying to figure out like what might happen and what might not happen. At the end of the day, none of us have like a crystal ball, but going back to like Sean's original point, it's like, you got to look at the worst case scenario and okay, he's got a plan for the worst case scenario. And that plan is still going to work for him, even if some of these things do occur that are negative. Um, if there was zero, absolutely zero risk 
in real estate investing, like no, you know, everybody would do it. Um, and, you know, one of the things I say to my partners is like, one of my most important jobs is trying to mitigate risk and figure out like, what are the risk situations that we have and how can we, it's like, you know, taking out an insurance policy on, you know, your business. And um, Sean mentioned a lot of things that, you know, he's definitely thinking through like, what are those risks? You know, how do I overcome them and things like that? So the last, you know, fear I have, and again, curious to get your feedback on this is like, obviously we have, you know, traditional rentals, you know, they, they're a lot of work. Um, my thought is, okay, well, if you have to switch out a new person every week, it's going to be a lot more. Uh, first, do you, do you think that's true or false? And, and second, if it's, you know, if it's true, like how much more time is it, do you think? To manage short-term rentals versus long-term rentals? Yeah, like, I mean, I guess you have one. So you have one. Like how many hours a week are you working in it? I tell everyone that it's a job. Short-term rental investing is not passive if you're, yep. managing, if you're managing it yourself. And um, I have the unfair unfair advantage of owning a, or I should say co-owning a short-term rental management company called Seacoast Vacation Rentals. We manage 40 plus properties along New Hampshire, Seacoast and Massachusetts North Shore. Uh, I left corporate America to, to build this business and I now have a all-star business partner, Chris Petsy, who runs the day-to-day -day operations. So being an owner of a short-term rental business gives me the, I, for lack of a better phrase, the unfair, uh, unfair advantage of slotting my personal investments into the system. Yep. My, my personal investments are managed the exact same way my clients are. So I say that to get to the point, to get to the following point, which is it's a lot of work to manage short-term rentals. That's why there's not a lot of short-term rental management companies that last a long time. It takes good system, good people, automation, a solid operation to have a true successful smoothly running short-term rental operation. Luckily, I built this business along with my business partner and um, it continues to, to, to get bigger. If I were to start again and I didn't have my own short-term rental management company, I would 100% start investing with, at the same time I partnered with a short-term rental uh, company because I wouldn't want to manage short-term rentals full-time my entire life. It's a full-time job. Once you have multiple of them, it takes up a lot of your time. In order to scale, you need to have uh, a good manager in whatever market you're investing in, or you need to commit a lot of your own time to managing these properties. There's no, it's not passive, as, I guess, is the point yeah. I'm trying to get to if you're doing it yourself. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, this has been a great episode and you've been a really good case study because really you've almost like encapsulated everything from like, you know, day one of reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, up until like, you know, your journey today. And what, I, what I mean by that is like, you've gone through all of the steps that I would consider like to become a successful entrepreneur. You know, for me, like just to kind of like summarize for our listeners, because I think some of these points are really important. First, it kind of starts with like that dream, right? Like you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you were unhappy in your current situation. You didn't want to be in corporate America. You knew you wanted to be do something entrepreneurial and you had that like spark. So you need that spark. Spark's really important because another thing that's very true about your story and true about every person that I've ever met that's been successful 
is you work your butt off. And so like you read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you're ready to run through a wall and like you need to run through a wall like for a long time. So I love the fact that like sometimes people come on here and they're like, oh yeah, I know this is easy, that's easy, like whatever. I get that a lot and it's like, not really. Like I've never seen anybody really do this. Maybe it's easy to you now because you've had a lot of success, but like it's blood, sweat and tears. Like there is no other way around you know, achieving success in real estate and related to kind of like the fear factor thing for a lot of people, like the fear goes away quick when you start realizing like how much you actually can have an impact on the business. And that's something that like, again, you're talking about, you were in, you know, equities, bonds, stuff like that. And, you know, you buy a share of Disney, you buy a share of Target, whatever, you have to hope that it's getting managed the right way. And I'm not negative equities. I'm not negative bonds. I'm, you know, nothing like that. Um, but when you're investing in real estate, the fear of like, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? It kind of goes away, in my opinion, because you have so much control. You can actually impact it. So you talked a lot about the fact that you can do value add things to your property to increase the rent. You can make your management better. You built a management system, a management team, right? These are all things that you can do. So the harder you work, I mean, it's like the Michael Jordan quote. I think I think it was him or maybe he stole it from somebody else, but it's like the harder I work, the luckier I get. Mm -hmm. And to add to that, based on what I said earlier, it's like the harder you work, the lower you have a risk because like a lot of hard work can mitigate that risk. And one risk is managing the properties. So what did you do? You built out a team and you manage properties for other people. So it's like, there's always these things that you can do to make risk decrease, but they all involve like busting your butt. And like, one thing I noticed from talking to you is like, this isn't definitely not something you think about like two hours a day. Like you're obviously obsessed with this. I can tell just from the answers you're giving because they're very well thought out. You you have a plan, you know your plan, and you're trying to improve your plan, you know, consistently. Yeah. So, I mean, I give you a lot of credit, but not only a lot of credit, but for the people who are listening, I think it's just like a great case study to be like, okay, if I want to do this, it's not necessarily the risk, it's like the effort to me. Like, are you going to put in Sean's effort to make this successful? Because if you're not, then all of those things like, well, our price is too high. Is the management tough? Are we going to deal with tough regulations? All If all those things, the negatives happen, but you're not willing to like bust your butt to get around them, that's when you get into trouble, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the work ethic thing to me is huge because I think a lot of people think when you leave corporate America nine to five Monday through Friday, you're leaving to do something that will be less time consuming. But the truth is, I probably work twice as much now than I did when I was back. Definitely, working. definitely. I'm just fortunate enough to do what I really love. So even though I have to go show houses or host open houses or answer calls from clients seven days a week at all hours, for me, it's fun. I love, it's fun because I'm always building something and I'm helping somebody and I'm doing the end consumer, whether it's a vacationer or a buyer or a seller or an investor. So you and I are lucky because 
we found ourselves in a position that we love what we do. And so even though I work much more than I used to, honestly, more probably more than twice as much. Yeah. It doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it just feels like work to the people around me because they see me working, but I see myself just doing something I like. Well, I look at the enjoyment part is like, there's a lot of enjoyment out of the fact that like, if you love real estate, which a lot of people do, there's enjoyment just from being in the real estate industry, which like, it's different. Like you have a finance background. I'm a CPA. Like it's tough. To, at least I think it's tough to get excited about fields that are kind of like that, but it's not even just the field. It's also the fact you look and you're, you're building, like you're, you're putting bricks down and you're building a big house. Right. And you're seeing every few months that there's improvements in your own business. And like when you're working for somebody else, it can be tough because you're not really building your own house. So it's like, you know, it's hard to kind of get that satisfaction. And, and you know, and I know that if you put in double the hours, you're going to get double the results. And it's, it's a good feeling, I think, as an entrepreneur to, to be like, I'm my own boss. So like, there's nothing I'm going to do that's, I think is a bad idea or a waste of time. Everything I'm doing is working towards like something that I know is going to provide me with results. But yeah, I mean, I so I don't know. You're talking maybe talking me into the short-term rentals. We'll have to kind of see. I'm uh, I, I I don't know. I I may need some therapy on it. For some reason, I don't even know why. Like I have no, you know, I own apartments. I've got a, a big brokerage. I do a ton of flips. For some reason, the short-term rentals are like my fear factor. It's just a, a very strange thing, but. I think the biggest fear is the, the amount of time and effort that goes into managing it. But if you have a good manage, management partner, then it's just about acquiring the right properties, setting them up the right way, and doing things to add more value to them. And I mentioned a couple of things about how to add more value, which is um, sleep more people, make it pet friendly, use a strategic, smart pricing tool, but your manager should be recommending all those things anyways. But it's really just it really just comes down to the time that it takes to uh, to manage it, which is the biggest fear in my opinion, because it's not passive. Yeah. Um, the best thing about them is that you could invest in places you love, which is what I personally do. Um, that way, not only are they earning me income and appreciating over time, but we could stay at our own places if we want to go as a family or go with a group of friends. That's the other bonus. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you've given a lot of great information today. If our listeners want to reach out to you, um, in any way or look you up or learn more about you, what's the easiest way to do that? The easy, easiest way is my website, seanbuckteari.com, spelled S-E-A-N-B as in boy, A-K-H-T-I-A-R-I.com. It's just my first and last name.com. And on there, you'll see... I actually have a, uh, a YouTube video series there all about short-term uh, investing tips. I've got my social media handles there. But uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see my cell phone number and my personal email address all on my website. Perfect. Um, and for all the listeners, um, I want to just let everybody know about an event that we have coming up called the Passive Income Real Estate Investing Event. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a two-day event uh, where we're going to be teaching everybody all the things that we've learned over the past 20 years from buying and acquiring assets, two to 10 unit buildings, and even up to um, some larger complexes that we're working on right now, up to 100 units. 
Um, so if you're thinking that either you want to get into owning some passive income real estate or, um, or you, um, you know, want to increase your passive income uh, real estate, go to www.passiveincomeevent.com. Again, that's www.passiveincomeevent.com. And um, Sean, again, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, we'll see you guys again in another week with another episode. Thank you very much, Tom. It was fun and it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.